0: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Aaron Fitt, live on the line from California. I'm John Manuel from World Headquarters here in Durham, North Carolina. I want to thank you for being here on the Baseball America College podcast, whether you download it at iTunes or subscribe to Baseball America's uh, feed or download it from our website. Uh, we have so much to get into uh, every college baseball season, Aaron. Obviously, we love the college podcast and the college game, but a little bit uh, I mean, kind of uh, champing and chomping at the bit as we got out to ballparks this weekend and did you get your uh, your college baseball fix even with the uh, even with the rain that came to southern california this weekend
1: yeah it ended up working out pretty well uh had a nice double header on sunday between vanderbilt and san diego um and, and even friday when the forecast was really bad um cut five innings down there and, and saturday again forecast was dicey and, and managed to get in nine uh, between north carolina and
0: fullerton so all in all went all right well pretty great weekend here weather-wise at north cacolac I saw parts of a couple of games did not actually get out to see Canisius and Toledo and and Creighton, as I'd hoped, over in Cary. Instead, I went over to Raleigh, Elon, and uh, North Carolina State. Aaron, as you said, you went to several games. And the first thing that was noticeable, uh, even though we'd both been to some fall practices and we'd seen the bats, the new bats before, just seen them in games and now they've been, you know, players have gotten used to them a little bit. It's going to take some getting used to going to games because the sound off the bat is different, Aaron. And that was really brought home to me in the Friday game I went to when Kyle Rasmus of Elon hit a three-run homer off Corey Mazzoni. It was a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, and Rasmus got all of it, turned on that pitch, showed a really quick bat. But it was almost silent off the bat. I mean, it's like he struck it so hard, there was no ping. There was very little ping at all. And two batters later, there was a drag bunt, and it was a very loud, kind of old-school college baseball ping. So the bats are clearly different. What was your take on the first weekend uh, around the country? Did the bats make an impact, and what was your firsthand observation of the bats there in SoCal?
1: You know, a lot of people are are saying, well, James Madison scored 92 runs this weekend. You know, Mikey Mott hit four home runs. Clearly, the bats are overblown. Um, I don't agree. I mean, I think you're taking a few isolated incidents, um, and I think – Frankly, wind played a factor. James Madison, I, I know it played a, a pretty big factor there. Uh, not to take away from what they did. I mean, you know, 92 runs in four games is insane. But um, on the whole, I think I think offense was down. I think games were a lot quicker. Um, you know, I just saw Chuck Dunlap with the SEC um, sent something out about. Uh, uh, you know how how quickly their games went this weekend um Mississippi State had three games that were almost 2 hours flat you know i mean it, i think uh um, home runs i think were generally down one thing that that struck me also i was talk, talking to with a scout on on sunday um and he observed you know how shallow the outfielders were playing they're really cheating in a lot and he thinks that could lead to a lot more doubles and triples this year um and also he said that the new bats make it a lot easier for scouts to evaluate players um, more more fairly and get a better idea for, for how good the guys are because the good players, everyone seems to agree, the good players really stand out with these bats.
0: Yeah, it's it's impressive. I think, the, I think the thing you noted that the scout talked about is the whole reason why we did so much of the college preview issue focused on defense. That's the area of the game I think that's going to change the most in college baseball, the positioning of defenders – I mean, a few years ago, Aaron, we had, uh, you know, we went to one of the ABCA conventions where they talked about, I'm not sure if you even, this might be before your your tenure began, where they moved the second base umpire back because they were basically afraid of these umpires getting crushed by line drives. You know, the second base umpire used to play in front of second base, I think, when nobody was on. And they moved them about 20 feet back behind the bag to give them more reaction time. So that's how hot the bats used to be, and I bet you're going to – if you see that change, the positioning of the umpires, not to mention the players, uh, you're just talking about a different game, and that, that lets you know that people in the game, are involved in the game, know something is different. And the other thing that was most noticeable to me on that, on that Kyle Rasmus home run, I forget who was playing left field for NC State, but he read it off the bat that it was gone. Now, I wasn't in the press box. I was behind home plate. I saw the swing was a vicious swing. So I thought – wow, there's no sound, but that, I thought that ball was struck pretty well. When well, I went in the press box about an inning later, guys in the press box all thought that was not a home run off the bat, and that's because of the sound. I'm convinced it was because of the sound. Because if you were outside and you heard the sound, the sound was the only thing that, that made you think, oh, it wasn't struck hard. you know. Um, but the left fielder knew. The players knew. So the players, you can tell. The players and the coaches know something's different. So the rest of us should take their word for it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, that's how I took it. But the, the great players are still going to stand out. Uh, and this weekend, in a refreshing uh, happening, the best team stood out, Aaron, and the best teams all played well. Very little movement at the top of the top 25 rankings. Florida with a pretty dominating performance against South Florida to sweep our number one team. Goes undefeated. Uh, well, they won 18 straight home games going back to last year. That streak is intact. Garrett Little's streak no longer intact. We'll get to that later. Um, but out of those top uh, five, we well, only made one move in the in the rankings there, and even that was a, a tough call. Vanderbilt at four moving up to three over TCU. Um, what what are those top uh, five, six, seven teams uh, struck stuck out the most to you?
1: Well, I mean, the one I saw Vanderbilt. I mean, you know, I I think they're they're as good as advertised. I saw them three games this weekend, and um, the fact that that Grayson Garvin started the fourth of those games uh, and carried a per- perfect game into the seventh. Um, I mean, he's he's going to have a great year. He can really really pitch. Uh, they, they've got so much pitching depth. I mean, Jack Armstrong wasn't even available this weekend, um, but it didn't it didn't stop them. And uh, I I, I like their lineup a lot. I think you know Tony Kemp and Mike Yastrzemski at the top. Um, against against right-handed pitchers, Ustjuzhnikov uh, was down in the order against lefties, but you know Brian Johns moved up to that two hole against against lefties and he, he played pretty well. So um, you know they've got guys at the top. I really like Esposito and Westlake in the middle of the lineup. Uh, I think the lineup has pretty good balance and depth. I mean that, I think that there's you know, they're a very solid complete team all the way around. But um, the reason that we moved them over to TCU this week was because it was a four and week on the West Coast versus a 2 and one week at home. And I, I don't think TCU necessarily deserved to move down. Most weeks they would stay right where they are. But in this case, I think what Vanderbilt did was, was just more impressive to the point that, that we thought we could reward Vanderbilt.
0: It's really a dime's worth of difference between three and four. Um, and, you know, one team went 4-0 and on the road. One team went 2-1 and at home. Like you said, it's not so much a punishment of TCU. But, uh, and I think it also needs to be said here, you saw Vanderbilt in person. You said you thought about this, but really it was the rest of us who kind of pushed – for Vanderbilt to move up, so it wasn't that you were obviously you were impressed in person, but it didn't, and that, it wasn't like you saw him in person, so you wanted to move him up. It was the rest of us who were <laughs> had to convince right. you a little bit. The other interesting thing I think from this weekend was uh, I think we all know UCLA can pitch. For UCLA to give up no earned runs, one unearned run, all weekend, uh, Adam Plutko, who I think we knew was had the potential to be good, really flashed you know first round potential last year in high school, but wasn't consistent. Um, that's a ridiculous weekend. I mean, I don't care what the bats were like. Um, I would like to see UCLA score more than eight runs, but USF's a good representative, solid program. But to give up one unearned run in three games over the weekend is uh, impressive for the Bruins.
1: The the crazy thing is, most weekends this year, if UCLA scores eight runs, they're, they're probably going to do pretty well. I mean, their pitching is absurdly good. There's no other way to put it.
0: I think you're right. And also, one, one other note that I scribbled down was Oklahoma beating William and Mary. You know, William and Mary uh, was second in the CAA last year in ERA of a 487 ERA. And Oklahoma, you know, scored a decent amount of runs. Obviously, more as they got past, I forget the name of William and Mary's Friday starter. He's a junior. He's got a chance to be trapped in the you know, eighth to 15th round kind of range. It's pretty good. Uh, I, get, I wish I could remember his name. Um, but the point is, that's an impressive weekend for Oklahoma. I mean, I think, obviously, we think Kylie Sooners their fifth. But they dismantled a pretty good women married Mary team. They they put up a lot of runs in doing so. Um, so a good start for those guys. Matt um,
1: Davenport is the pitcher you're looking for. Thank you. Nick
0: Davenport, that's his name. I know I could not remember it. We did have a little movement uh, after South Carolina. And Cal State Fullerton's second year in a row, they start one and two. You saw a little bit of that in the game that you saw was North Carolina who got there and winning. And the Tar Heels, who were not ranked coming into the season, coming off a you know disappointing season last year, was their, when you go to Omaha four years in a row, you raise the bar for your expectations. And then you know, North Carolina, t- kind of a tumultuous off season. They lose Brian Goodwin, uh, or probably their most talented player, who transfers to Miami-Dade Junior College after being suspended for a violation of was it school policy or team policy. Uh, school policy. School policy. So he transfers to a junior college, uh, no matter North Carolina, with an impressive weekend out on the west coast again. Aaron uh, going out and beating four regional caliber teams. There might only be one other regional team they play this weekend in, in Fullerton. You know, we'll see about Missouri Poly, USC. Uh, I think Cal Poly is pretty good. I think they've got a chance at a regional too. But that's and, and that's so that's again four four wins for North Carolina and kind of four different ways of doing it. Uh, what. What prompted the Tar Heel uprising this weekend?
1: Well, you know, I think their bullpen was pretty key in the first two games. I mean, really, their pitching as a whole was very good, those first two games. They got good starts from Chris Mudley and Patrick Johnson. And, um, you know, like I wrote on the college blog this weekend, is really a bunch of unheralded guys that, that stepped forward in the bullpen. Um, and guys that are going to be pretty good. You know, I, this this is, I think, their deepest bullpen they've had in a while, potentially, because – for the first time in a while, they've got a lot of different looks. They can kind of mix and match the way that, um, you know, the way that NC State could a couple of years ago when they uh, yeah, when they won that the regional, for yep. instance. Um, you know, th- this bullpen's constructed a little bit similarly. You know, you've got a, kind of a low slot lefty. You've got more of a power lefty. You've got um, power righties, you know, and different, different looks there. I mean, the guy that I never really even heard of that, that looked very good was Cody Penny. I mean, he was uh, outstanding against Fullerton to close that game out in the 11th inning. Um, you know, struck out. Uh, um, I think it was Anthony Hutting with a, with a 94 mile an hour fastball on the black. You know, I mean, it, when you got guys like that taking steps forward, I think it's it's a credit to the, to the job they've done developing pitchers there. And Scott Forbes does a really good job with their with their pitchers. Um, and then and then they came out on on Sunday and they hit and they scored 22 runs in two games. So um, I, I had just been saying to myself on Saturday, well. Their pitching looks pretty good, but I don't think they're going to score a lot of runs. And then they came out and, and they scored some runs, so, so give them credit.
0: Yeah, good weekend. They, they obviously uh, earned their way into the top 25 rankings this week. The Titans moved down a little bit, Aaron, but it didn't seem like Fullerton played too poorly. They got a lot of hits. They pitched pretty well. It didn't seem like they got a lot of timely hits, a lot, a lot of runners left on base. What was your, your your first take on the Titans off to a 1-2 and star for the second straight year?
1: I think they're going to be just fine. In fact, I think they're going to be really, really good, but... Um, You know, Dave Serrano was was very disappointed in his team on Saturday, and and, you know how how much he expects from his team and demands from his team, and uh, um, you know he was pretty frank about his disappointment after they lost that that game to North Carolina.
0: Um, 26 26 runners left on base in their last two in those two losses is uh, kind of egregious. The kind of thing that you you're not going to be successful doing that if you do that all year.
1: Yeah, and and he was not pleased with that. He thought that his entire
0: offense was out of
1: character for itself, and wasn't you know didn't didn't play the way that uh, they prepared all season and, and all that kind of stuff. But personally, I mean, I think their offense is going to be very good. I like Richie Pedrosa and Anthony Hudding at the top. Really like um, Nick Ramirez and Carlos Lopez in the middle. I think it's a little softer in the bottom part of the lineup, but they should be able to manufacture runs like they always do. Uh, and their pitching is is really good. I mean. Uh, um, You know, again, it's very deep, and we've written about it before. Um, They're going to be be just fine. They really are.
0: Yeah, they seem – obviously, we had them eight for a reason. Um, The biggest movers uh, in our rankings this week, Aaron, uh, were both in this area. As you're listening to the Baseball America College podcast, Stanford moves up five spots from 13, replacing Fullerton at number eight. And number nine, UConn, preseason number nine, moves down five spots, down to 14, Um, So we have the Huskies, who went one and two in the Big East Big Ten Challenge. Stanford, the Cardinal, a very young club, uh, loaded in the freshman and sophomore classes, coming off back-to-back spectacular recruiting classes. Stanford goes down to Rice and stares down the the Owls' uh, freshman right-handers, John Sims and uh, Aaron Kubica, who both played very well, both pitched very well. Uh, and beats uh, Anthony Rendon and the Owls. Uh, Where do you want to go there first? Do you want to talk Stanford uh, winning at Rice first, Darren, or or UConn kind of limping out of the gate, as you wrote?
1: Well, let's talk about Stanford and Rice, because that was the marquee series this weekend, and – uh, I think I think it lived up to its billing. I mean I think both those teams played well. Um, especially on the mound, you know. I mean that, that, that was one thing that jumped out to me was Rice even even in losing the series got three strong starting pitching performances from three, you know, exciting power arms with John Sims and Matthew Reckling and, and Austin Kubitza. Um those guys Played well, and that's very encouraging for Rice's future. I mean, ordinarily we wouldn't move Rice down four spots for losing a home series. It just so happens this week that the four teams right behind them all went undefeated this weekend and played very well. And you know, Rice was at home, so I mean, it's, it's I don't think it's it's an indictment of of Rice or, or their weekend or their talent. I, right. On the whole, like I said, I was pretty impressed with with Rice, and um, I think as Anthony Rendon kind of finds his rhythm, um, you know, and, and and the guys around him, Rattery, Rathgen. Uh, and and Shagwa. I mean, those guys will have much better weekends than they had this weekend. So, um, nothing to worry about with Rice. But I, I do think you have to you have to credit Stanford. I mean, they're young. You know, they played seven underclassmen in the lineup this weekend, um, but they're so talented and. and it's very good to see freshmen like Austin Wilson coming out of the gate and hitting five hundred and hitting a home run the first weekend. Um, that's incredibly encouraging I think for Stanford. Uh, the fact that they pitch very well without Brett Mooneyham, who's, you know, one of their one of their guys that they're, they're leaning on in the rotation, you'd think. Um, Jordan Prees didn't really pitch much this weekend. I don't I know he pitched at all. I know he's gonna start on Tuesday against Cal. Um, and again he's he's been their Friday guy in the past. So Mark Capel... It uh, looks like he can handle that move from the bullpen to the Friday job. and He's got a chance to be dominant in that role.
0: Yeah, they really pitched around uh, some adversity with, you know, two like you said, just two of the guys that you would have expected, two guys who pitched a lot of weekend innings for them last year, do not pitch this weekend, and they win a series on the road against the top 25 team. Uh, pretty impressive, and I, I agree with you. I think Rice, most weekends when Austin, as you uh, corrected me, Austin Kubica, John Sims, uh, those guys, when, they, when they're starting pitching, is going to be, is that good? Uh, they're going to win a lot of games in Conference USA if they pitch like that. You know, Chase McDowell's a guy they had pretty big expectations for. Uh, had a nice summer in the Alaska League last year. Didn't have a great weekend this weekend, but I think more often than not, Rice is going to win series when they pitch the way they pitched this weekend against Stanford. Um, I me, mean, on the, uh, on the flip side, you had UConn Aaron really with one bad loss, uh, losing to Purdue. Um, you know, I think at the same time, uh, that's another one where we, we expect usually Elliot Glenn, their senior left-hander, is going to do a little bit better than that. Uh, everybody has their, their off days. I don't think uh, us moving UConn down was necessarily that we don't believe in UConn anymore. It's just a matter of anyone one and two on the opening weekend and other teams behind them one.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, the Purdue, Purdue's okay. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're not a bad team, but, um, you can't get blown out by Purdue. You know, I, I think part of that was, was Russ. I mean, UConn I think made four errors that led to 400 runs that day. Um, Lynn didn't get hammered, you know, but he, he was, it was his first start of the year Come out of the gate. I mean, those guys have been playing in a gym all, all winter long, you know, they've got four feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> so, uh I give I can give UConn a little bit of a mulligan, but at the same time we were fairly aggressive with our ranking of them, and it's a Northern team, um, and and the teams behind them all, all did play well. I mean Virginia had a really good weekend down there at Auburn, so I think it's fair to move move Virginia up ahead of UConn at this point and see what happens.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a very fair point. Virginia had a, having a very good weekend again. These things don't happen in a vacuum, so people you know, it's I think it's important to remember that. And like you said, Glenn didn't get hammered. Six of those ten runs that Purdue scored were in the last two innings. That game was a it's like they got uh, annihilated in that game. It was a game that got uh, changed, that changed late. And let's remind people that Purdue's Fred has a freshman this year who's the son of Arky Cianfraco, you know, wow. Angelo Cianfraco. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, Arky Cianfraco was pretty cool for people of my age. We remember Arky Cianfraco as one of the uh, most fun players we uh, ever covered or not covered watched in the late 80s, early 90s with the Expos and Padres. Just a great name.
1: It is a great name. And, and by the way, you mentioned Glenn. It's also worth mentioning that, that, that Matt Barnes pitched very well on Saturday. You know, he struck out 11 guys in that loss to a good Minnesota team.
0: And we have some good coverage of the Big East Big Ten Challenge on the college blog uh, from some correspondents, uh, Greg Allman and uh, Joel Poiley, uh some veteran newspaper guys down in the uh, South Florida, uh, Tampa area. And they, they seemed pretty impressed just with that event. And Greg covered the Big East Big Ten, uh, the Big East tournament, I should say, last year. Uh, for the St. Pete paper, and is pretty familiar with Big East baseball, and just some encouraging signs. I think, you know, Louisville pitched really well, played very well down there, and I, I loved your tweet this morning, Aaron, about Michigan State. Michigan State got off to a great start last year and kind of just fell just short toward the end of the year uh, of being a regional club, maybe challenging that Big Ten, challenging Minnesota. They look primed to challenge Minnesota again, though. That's a that's a program that's trending up in the Big Ten, there's no doubt.
1: No, no question. I mean, Jake Boss has won everywhere he's gone since he left Michigan. I mean, he he spent I think one season at Eastern Michigan, and and they went to regionals, and uh, and and they were good last year. At Michigan State. Um,
0: I've got them as as the number two team in, in the Big Ten this year, John. I think you do also. Do you not? I believe that's where we ended up with uh, with Michigan State number two. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a talented, experienced roster, I and mean, they look like they're going to pitch uh, yeah. on paper. It's an it's just an impressive club. And uh, you know Minnesota got the short end of the stick in that event. I mean, they really scheduling wise. Did they play Saint John's, Louisville, and, uh, and UConn, UConn in yeah. succession? I mean, that's that's the uh, the Golden Gopher just had it tough. And they still went they went one and two in that. Obviously, dealt UConn a, a loss. Um, but I think you know I still think we think Minnesota is the class of that league. But uh, Michigan State has a chance, I think, to make a run in that in that in that conference. And I, I like the way that you just put that they, you know, Just keep them in the back of your head that that's a that's a potential regional team. And as you watch Big Ten baseball this year, that's a team that's as likely as any other to to jump up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the top twenty-five, Aaron, uh, we moved Tulane out. Not necessarily, that Tulane did anything wrong. Uh, yeah. I guess the other only other surprise, really, is just uh, you know, as usual early in the season, there are a lot of teams that we wanted to rank. Uh, we weren't able to rank from outside the top twenty-five. Uh, what were the most impressive, uh, you know, results in your mind? Well, you
1: know, you you got to give James Madison credit for for. Scoring 92 runs in four games. I mean, it's you know, like I said, the wind was was howling out, but nonetheless, that's a lot of offense. I mean, that's uh, I love the stat that that, that James Madison sent out. Um, there, well, there's a bunch of good stats you can pick from, but they they equaled a third of their 2010 home run production in four games. Wow! Uh, they hit 23 home runs this weekend. Uh, they they also equaled 20 percent of their entire. Run production from last year in those four games. I mean, <laughs>
0: you're kidding? No, it, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. That's amazing. Um, I'm glad they sent those out. And that's uh with the son of the coach uh, Tyler McFarland only uh only going uh, four for 11. David I Herbeck, know who David Herbeck seems like he's been there since Ken Herbeck was playing. But David Herbeck with five home runs this weekend for the Dukes.
1: He does feel like he's been there a while, doesn't he? It's it's funny. They they're they're an experienced veteran team. I mean, I, I think that they're uh, they seem to beat in the CAA, and uh, I don't think they're a top twenty five team yet. I want to see more. I want to see um, I want to see larger sample size. But boy, that they, they, they could be pretty good.
0: I think we actually may have picked Georgia State over them in that conference, but that that was that was a toss up conference. Um, it would not surprise me if Georgia State took a little bit of a step backwards this year. But they, they are a club, I think, that's going to be affected by the bats more than most. They're more of a mashing team, whereas James Madison has a little bit more athleticism. They stole 16 bags this weekend. I love it when teams are hitting home runs left and right and still steal a bunch of bases. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of random. Uh, you noted on our worksheet, uh, Portland going on the road, sweeping Middle Tennessee State. Um, that's going to be a... Portland had a nice year last year. Uh, I believe Chris Sperry is the head coach there, is he not? Is that his yes. name? Yes. That's right. And he's done a nice job with that program. And, they, they, just, they uh, again, just a program that's just quietly kind of under the radar, just a, an upward trend uh, with the Pilots. You had uh, Wichita State sweeping a series this weekend, Elon winning a series, uh home-road-home home series against the, or no, road-home-road road series with NC State. But winning the clincher on the road uh, in Raleigh yesterday, uh, those were some that, that jumped out to me. And also Kansas State, Aaron, you 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 write every year, you know, Kansas State lost a lot of guys. Hard to see them coming back and being as good. But, again, another coach who just – that program just grinds things out over at Kansas State with Coach Hill. I mean, they were uh, really not on the map as a program. And then Brad Hill gets there from Central Missouri, and they're a regional contender every year.
1: Yeah, last two years they they've actually been in regionals and and I think I think it was the first time they'd ever been in a regional two years ago. Um, give that that staff a lot of credit. Them and Washington State are two pro that to me just seem like mirror images of each other. Just blue collar teams, uh, always seem to be a little bit under the radar and, and just win. And and you know, Washington State uh, didn't have a great weekend. They went they they lost the middle game down at Cal State Bakersfield, but they still went two and one against the warm weather team. Um, you know those are teams to keep an eye on. I think. Um, you know, I, I like uh, I like UC Irvine, and they clobbered Nevada in three games. Um, you mentioned Louisville, 3-0 down there, beating Michigan, Ohio State, and Minnesota. Um, you know, obviously, Coastal Carolina is right on the cusp. Um, they had a pretty good weekend despite a 16-inning loss to Indiana. Um, Hawaii, you know, have to mention Hawaii. They won the first two games of that series against Oregon, a very good Oregon team. They got one hit on Sunday, and and we'll see what happens on Monday. If if they win that Monday game, um, yeah, I think it's pretty likely they'll they'll be in the rankings next week, uh, depending on on their their series next week, which I think is is tough because they have a tough schedule. But
0: um, well, no one's Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Hawaii is a team to watch on to, to keep an
0: eye on? No one's got that tougher schedule than Stanford. Three straight weekends on the road uh, against a good teams. Is next weekend Texas for Stanford?
1: No, actually, Texas is at Hawaii next weekend. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Uh, Stanford goes to Vanderbilt next weekend, that's
0: and then it. they go to Texas. That's it. At Rice, at Vanderbilt, at Texas. I love Mark Marcus's quip to you on uh, Thursday or Wednesday in the, in the weekend preview. He was like, well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> you know, if that was too much, we'll, we'll find out soon. But um, it wasn't intended to be three straight road series, uh, but the Texas series had to be uh, flip flops. So they're at Texas, and you know, that's a baptism by fire for all those uh, you know, young players uh, with the Cardinal. Uh, Aaron, I guess another big story of the weekend for college baseball is a story that wasn't really Garrett Whittles of Florida International, who went hitless on Friday. You know, as I was per- perusing my uh, direct TV Sunday morning, looking to see if any college baseball was on Sunday afternoon, uh, I did see that uh, Florida International Southeastern Louisiana was scheduled to be on Sunday. And I guess uh, Robin Ventura would have been there had that been the game where Whittles could have broken his consecutive hit streak record. But Whittles goes hitless on Friday. Uh, the Lions uh, break his streak. What's your takeaway, I guess, on the whole Garrett Whittle's 56-game hit streak and uh, and it ending uh, you know so quickly this weekend?
1: It certainly seemed a little bit anticlimactic. It was a lot of buildup there. Uh, it was a long wait for an 0 for 4. Uh, That's right. But yeah, uh, you know, it was, it was the whole the situation got, or starting the whole thing was awkward. Um, you know, and there were a lot of columns. I saw a couple of pieces in the Miami Herald saying that. Uh, the school should have suspended Whittles until the um, until the rape investigation in the Bahamas was was cleared up. And and you know there's there's some precedent for that. I mean there's other the, the, the column that I read listed a lot of other cases where uh, players were suspended in, until those kind of proceedings were resolved. And it, it's not necessarily a presumption of guilt. But you know also remember that the the standard um, the burden of proof I guess is different in. in um, than in the court of law. I mean this isn't a court of law. Right. You not have to be, be innocent until proven guilty. You have to put yourself in – not put yourself in a position to be in these kind of situations. And who knows? I'm, I'm not saying Garrett Whittles necessarily did anything wrong or not. We don't know. But uh, you know whether the university did the right thing or not by playing him, uh, it's not for me to say. But it, it certainly was an awkward situation for
0: everybody. I think that's a very fair way to put, it's a fair way to put it and I think you're right there's uh, there's it's there's innocent until proven guilty in a court of law but suspending him holding him out you don't uh and you're not saying he's guilty you're just saying let's sort things out a little bit here and figure out what happened but uh you know, he went he went one for the weekend he had one hit on the entire weekend and a disappointing weekend I think for Florida International and Southeastern Louisiana is another program to kind of watch as a a bit of under the radar, you know, solid Southland Conference program um, in a league that's going to change significantly next year. Out of all the conference shifting that's going on—that's um, just another another one to watch. But it, it was it was too bad for college baseball in a way because you would have had college baseball on TV in February. That's the only way that they were going to get college baseball on TV in February. But in a way, I'm almost glad it didn't happen because then, the, like you said, the whole thing was a little bit awkward uh, with this offseason charge. Uh, hanging over his head. And what do we have to look for, uh, look forward to next week? And uh, what's your schedule kind of look like? Who who will you be seeing in person, uh, both this week and then uh, next weekend?
1: Well, I've got uh, Arizona's coming to town next weekend to Long Beach State. I'll try to get a look at those guys. Uh, the um, MLB Urban Youth Invitational is next weekend up in Compton. Uh, probably going to get a look at Peter O'Brien from Bethune Cookman, and uh, you know a pretty solid Bethune Cookman club all the way around. Um, and then in two weeks, I'll be going to the Minute Maid, uh, Friday and Saturday, and then I'll see uh, uh, Stanford and Texas finale on Sunday. So it should be an
0: action-packed couple of weeks. It does sound like an action-packed couple of weeks. I think uh, our best bet around here is, uh, uh, well, we have, uh, you know, who, what's the name of the shortstop again at uh, at Seton Hall?
1: A.J. Yeah,
0: uh, We're going to get a little A.J. uh your most efficient defender in the country over at uh, Chapel Hill this weekend. <laughs> Uh, but I think a little slightly better uh, college baseball schedule and smorgasbord on hand for you down in Southern California. So it's exciting to have you out there to cover the season this year. And uh, uh, I'm glad we had the first podcast in the books and uh, looking forward to the rest of the year.
1: Me too, John. It's, it's it's always good to have the first weekend in the books, like you said. And uh, I think it was it was an exciting first weekend. Um, you know, I think it, it's good that a lot of the teams that we, we expected to be good got off to good starts. Um, and and there were a few surprises as always, which is uh, always welcome as well.
0: I always kind of thought of the bats almost like as a three-point shot. You know, the bats, uh, you know, make mediocre players better, and the bats are a leveler. You know, the best teams usually get the best pitchers. Anybody can get guys who can hit. Okay, you know, your, your your college second baseman who doesn't who can't run, who's not a great athlete, but can but can hit. Um, you know, to me, the bats were always a leveler. Uh, you know, kinda of like again like a like a three point shot in basketball when it was first introduced in nineteen eighty seven. So we'll see what happens with these bats, but uh so far um we can tell they're gonna have an impact it's gonna storyline we'll watch all year. Uh at baseball America and baseballamerica.com. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We thank you for joining us here on the College Baseball Podcast at Baseball America. We'll see you next Monday. So long everybody.